Our first uh, scripture reading is also a key verse that sort of unlocks uh, wonderful words of Jesus for us to be drawn close to him as he gives us some wonderful uh, promise, promises here in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to follow along as you can find the words on the screen. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite you to join me now in our second scripture reading of the morning. We're looking at the third of the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, and this time it's to the church in Pergamum. So I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Listen to this portion of God's word. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel, so that they would eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice fornication. So you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Pergamum was a very uh, interesting place. It was the capital of the Roman Empire in the whole province of Asia Minor. And as the capital city, Pergamum had a certain uh, splendor and charm to it. They had a library which boasted over 200,000 books, second in the world at the time only to the library in Alexandria. Pergamum was also the home to a famous school of medicine. People made pilgrimages for physical healing in very much the same way as Catholics today uh, journey to Our Lady of Lourdes over in France. The people there were even religious, but in their own way. There were altars and temples which sort of dotted the landscape, and there was this massive temple of the Greek god Zeus that sort of overshadowed the city. And so Pergamum was like a, a college town, a capital city, and the Vatican all rolled into one. But 
It was also the place where Jesus said, Satan's throne is. Now, we're not exactly sure what that means. It could be a a reference to all of the idolatry that was being practiced in Pergamum. It could refer to the citizens who were required to offer sacrifices and acknowledge the emperor as, as the living God. What I do know is this. It meant that it was a really hard time for Christians. The church, the church in Pergamum found themselves behind enemy lines on Satan's turf because of a very unpopular belief that they held, that Jesus was not simply a way or a truth or a life, but he was the way, the truth, and the life for people everywhere. In fact, there was this man named Antipas who stood up, for Rome, to, stood up to Rome and he gave up his life for his faith. In fact, did you know that Antipas is the only real name that John mentions in any of his seven letters here in Revelation? Now, by contrast, if you read the Apostle Paul's letters, there are so many names, it's as if you're reading the contact list in Paul's iPhone. He says hi to this person here. He says hello to this person here. And he sends all kinds of greetings to people all along the way. But you see, these Christians here in Revelation are under heavy fire. And John dare not mention their names for fear that that letter may fall into the wrong hands. Reminds me of the story of a little girl who was supposed to say grace before dinner, and it was, uh, a do- she was doing it for the very first time with her family there. Now, she had heard her mom and dad pray over and over, Oh, God, bless this food to our bodily needs. When this little girl bowed her head, she prayed, Oh, God, Bless this food to our wobbly knees. (laughs) Now, even though this uh, young girl had kind of misheard the prayer of her parents, I think her prayer was still some pretty good theology. Because we need to ask God to give us day-to-day strength whenever we face the pressures that give us wobbly knees to help us to stand tall and not be intimidated. But you see here, Antipas had already paid the price of faith with his life. In fact, it says in verse 13, Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed. And the Greek word for witness is the word marturio, from which we get our English word martyr. And so let me share with you for just a moment what the final hours of his life might have looked like. Most likely well-known as a Christian, and maybe in his 20s or 30s, Antipas is summoned to appear before the proconsul of the Roman province in Pergamum. They stop at the temple of Augustus, who's the divine emperor of Rome. They, they whisk him up to this gleaming marble bust of Caesar. And the instructions to him are very, very simple. He's to walk up, take a pinch of incense, drop it on the fire, and say, Kyrios Kaiser, which translated means Caesar is Lord. If he does that, He'll be set free to go home, eat dinner, read the newspaper, and pet the family dog. There's just one problem. Antipas believes that Jesus is the one who has been exalted at the right hand of the Father, and that Jesus is the name that is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how in the world is he going to give honor to Caesar when he knows in his heart that it rightfully belongs to Jesus Christ? He can't do it. He won't do it. 
And so instead he lifts his eyes heavenward. And he says, Kyrios Yeshua, which means Jesus is Lord. And with that, the sword comes down upon him. Next morning, in the Pergamum Chronicle, people shake their heads as they read the story in the newspaper. And they think, wow, what a waste that this man died, and all because he refused to burn incense for the emperor. You know, to most people, that was kind of like our Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, Caesar did not require worship of him to be exclusive. Caesar said, hey, I'm not the only god in town. Just burn incense to me, and then you can go and worship your own god. And that's why Jesus introduces himself with this startling image to the church of Pergamum. You heard me read earlier, it says in verse 2, I am the one who has a sharp, two-edged sword. I think what Jesus is saying is, my truth is mightier than all the swords in all of Rome. In other words, when I, when I speak words of, of, of proclamation, when you do that, those are powerful words. They cut right to the truth. They cut right to the heart of the matter. Now, what's interesting to me in looking at these churches in Revelation, including these Christians here in Pergamum, they could have avoided all that persecution if they just kept their mouths shut. In fact, studies show of the early church, those early Christians, that if they had just kept a low profile, nobody would have bothered them. But there's something about this man, Jesus, that demanded that the church in Pergamum proclaim his name and his name only, and that they would share this with all that they met in the marketplace. So think about this, as faithful as they have been, it wasn't just attacks from the outside that were threatening the most. What was threatening them, them the most? It what was happening inside the church. Simply put, they had allowed a Trojan horse to come into their midst. Now, you all remember the story of the Trojan horse. Greek mythology tells the story of a war between uh, uh, the people of Sparta and the people of Troy. The Spartans couldn't conquer Troy, and Troy couldn't get the Spartans off their land. And so this war had pretty much settled into a stalemate. And after a decade, a decade of fighting, the Spartans decided that they wanted to try something new. They built this great big wooden horse that they wanted to give as a gift to the Trojans. What the Trojans didn't realize is that the Spartans had hidden soldiers in the belly of that wooden horse. And so as the Trojan horse was wheeled into the city, all oh, the men of, uh, of, of, of Troy uh, reveled in all the joy. They got drunk. They celebrated. Meanwhile, the Spartan soldiers who were hiding inside that horse climbed out of the horse, threw open the city gates, who, who had forces waiting outside to come in to support the rest of those soldiers. Well, that's kind of what was going on here in Pergamum. Because after commending the church for standing tall in the face of adversity, Jesus admonishes them for allowing false teaching to creep into the church and undermine that faith, but from the inside. So think about this. Despite the fact that they had endured persecution, despite the fact that they'd taken the devil's best shot on the chin and were still standing, they had allowed bad doctrine and false teaching to slowly infiltrate the rank-and-file members of the church. You know, sometimes when I think about it, I'm not sure we've come too far since Pergamum. We make little compromises here, 
little compromises there. We, we, we gradually accommodate to the culture that is around us. Why? Well, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to step on anyone's toes. Reminds me of a pastor who wanted to illustrate this in a very powerful way. So standing up in the pulpit one Sunday, like I am standing before you, he held up a Bible and he started ripping pages out of it. He said, you don't like what the Bible has to say? No problem. He tear the page, crumple it up, throw it on the floor. And he kept doing this, tearing pages from the Bible to demonstrate the absurdity of a church that wants to pick and choose, smorgasbord style, what it wants to believe. Well, friends, Jesus' word to the church back then in Pergamum and to you and me now in 2022 is certainly a word of encouragement for us to stay strong and stand tall from those forces that are outside. But, but, it's also a warning to watch what is going on here on the inside. Jesus says in John 14, 6, you heard me read it earlier, I am the way and the truth and the life. In other words, the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and there is no other. So let me ask you a question that you have to answer for yourself. Do you really believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way into the presence of God? If you do, you are very much in the minority in society today. Because it seems that just about every belief subscribed since the dawn of civilization is now available to us to believe and embrace. And what people like to do is take this kind of mix and match approach to religion. They'll say things like, you know, I kind of need a God. I, I guess I'll take the Christian God, not the Old Testament God, all that blood and guts, the New Testament God. Okay, now I need a code of ethics. Well, the, 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 the Eastern concept of karma seems pretty cool. I maybe a dash of the Dalai Lama. Okay, now I've got this good mixture. I think I'll try this recipe on for just a few weeks. It's a belief system that says, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Well, all ways don't necessarily lead to the same place. And as a basic element of the Reformed faith, as an essential tenet, we as Presbyterians believe that there was this Jewish itinerant rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth who lived back in the first century, that he is the sole gateway through whom all people must pass into the presence of God. The 20th century theologian Karl Barth called this doctrine the scandal of particularity. The scandal of particularity. All this is to say that when we talk about Christianity today, it seems like we've got to come up with language or vocabulary, vocabulary that connects with the culture. But we've we got to go back to square one. Because, you know, when we were the only show in town, Billy Graham would stand up and say, the Bible says, and, you know, we would all nod our heads because we knew exactly what he meant. Christianity was the dominant religion. Everyone wanted to be a Christian. The only question was how to become one. Today, if you were to say, the Bible says, people will yawn, roll their eyes. It just seems so out of date, old-fashioned. And they'll wonder, well, what does CNN say? 
What does is, what is, what is Deepak Chopra write in his book? What does the Mormon church teach on this? We are living in very, very interesting times. Back on the night of uh, January 8th, 2007, the most Googled term in the world was John 3.16. During the uh, college championship football game, then University of Florida quarterback Tim Tebow had painted, and you see it on the screen, on both eyes, in, on the eye black, John and 316. Now the NCAA no longer allows players to put messages under their eyes. But for many years, most of America would have understood this, uh, this, this, this phrase. They would have understood this as being part of the church. They would have recognized John 316 as being the signature verse in the Bible. But on that January night, having no clue, millions and millions of people went to their computers and clicked on that strange phrase to find out what was that college player named Tim Tebow talking about? What was he trying to say? Now, maybe our problem is being tied too closely to the word Christian. Now, hear me out. You know, it only appears three times in all the New Testament. But around the globe, there's this new phrase going around. You know what it's called? Follower of Jesus. And you know, I'm kind of warming up to that for a couple of reasons. You know, one of the reasons why America is so hated in, in Arab lands is because of our addiction to possessions and pornography and the sexual permissiveness and, and affluent lifestyle that, that we're perceived of having. You know, in that modest culture, men don't wear shorts, women cover their arms, and there's no TV shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians or New Housewives of Beverly Hills. In that culture, there's no understanding of the separation of church and state. It all, to them, is Christian. And so a Christian is considered a decadent, and in some countries, to convert from Islam to Christianity is a death sentence. And so... How do, we, how do we get around that? What do we do about that? Well, I heard about a Palestinian uh, Christian schoolmaster over in the West Bank who teaches scores of Muslim children in the school every day. And there was a seminary professor who was visiting from the U.S., and he asked the, the schoolmaster candidly, he said, are you seeking to make uh, them Christian? And he said, no, we just teach them to follow Jesus. You know, that, that kind of fits pretty well with our church's mission statement. What's our church's mission statement? Planted in Christ, growing in grace, and feeding the world. Because, friends, at the end of the day, we bow our heads and we confess with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we follow him as the one who is the gateway into the heart of God. Back in 1940, the Pennsylvania Turnpike became the nation's first superhighway, running 360 miles across the state, east-west, from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. Now, you know that you can't actually see Pittsburgh from Philly because it's still about 300 miles away. But if you get on the Turnpike at its beginning and begin driving on the Turnpike over hills, over the Appalachian Mountains, through four tunnels, Eventually, you're going to get to Pittsburgh. It's going to cost you $33 one way, and you're going to need to have an easy pass. But from the moment you get on, you don't need a map, a GPS, 
and you don't have to stop and ask for directions. All you need to do is get on that road and stay on that road, and eventually you'll come to the steel city. Well, friends, Jesus Christ is the way to our eternal home with the Father. And just like you can't see Pittsburgh from here on the turnpike, Jesus is the way. And if we keep following him, he promises to eventually lead us home. Like the faithful people in Pergamum, we too might have to go over hills or over mountains. We might go through deep valleys or through dark tunnels. There might even be long stretches where nothing seems to change or look different. But Jesus is the way. And if we follow him, he will lead us home. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And as we have for 310 years, may Chestnut Level Presbyterian Church continue to be a body of Christ that lives out this truth in word and deed. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we thank you for the truth that comes from your word. We pray that we would be captivated by it, that we would embrace it, and most importantly, that we would live it out in meaningful, practical, tangible ways as we speak and proclaim the good news of Christ's love. And we do so in a way, Lord, that attracts people to you so that they too may know that you provide the gift of eternal life, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. May that be so for us in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. And we ask it and pray it in Christ's name. Amen.